We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom. So we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Welcome, everybody. It's another edition of the Rotowire podcast for DFS, sponsored by FanDuel. I'm your host, Joe Pizzapia, and joining me today, ooh, I must be special. Either that or I'm in trouble. It's my boss. It's Derek Van Riper from Rotowire, DVR himself. What's going on, my man? How are you? Doing great, Joe. Uh, happy to be stepping in. I know Vlad was here last week. It's, it's a downgrade from Vlad to me for, for DFS co-host. Uh, I have no doubt about that. Vlad's had a ton of success. Uh, both in season long and DFS, so I'm just trying not to screw anything up. <laughs> I like that. That's a that's a good. You got your cliche ready already, and that and I appreciate that. That's well done. You've you've clearly uh, rehearsed those before, and that's that's the mark of a, a true veteran when you got the cliches down. And look, I mean, in all honesty, Vlad, you know, any of us is a drop off from Vlad. I mean, he's the man. I love uh, always talking with him on all the shows about uh, DFS stuff. He is he is great. Now, obviously, we've got. Uh, Thursday slate and Thursday's getaway day here on the podcast. And we always know that and we always know what we've got to look for, which is trying to decipher the day slate from the night slate. Do we play all day? Do we play during the day? Do we let day go? What do we do? Let's break down the games. First of all, we got Dodgers and Indians, Rich Hill against Tomlin there. So certainly the Dodger bats are in play in this one. Let's talk a little bit about Rich Hill, the cost of Rich Hill, uh, kind of reasonable. Now I understand the downside of Rich Hill is the fact that he has trouble getting out of the fifth inning and that's fine, but the strikeouts are there and he's been popping a lot of thirties at 7,900. I'm looking at that price. I'm thinking to myself, that's not a bad situation. If you're going to play the day slate, have a little rich Hill exposure. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. If you're playing the three game day slate, I think if you're going to go all day, you're going to find better options, but most of the attention is going to be on Jose Barrios because he's got the highest ceiling of the six pitchers to choose from in the afternoon with Hill. I'm still a little bit tricked by him because I'm, I'm focused on that last calendar year, which is still very good because of what he was doing a year ago. You mentioned the K's still being there. That's encouraging. As an offense, the Indians have a WRC plus of 86 against lefties. So they're definitely subpar against lefties 
Uh, it takes away some of the advantages that left-handed hitters have anyway at progressive field. So this is actually a pretty good spot for Rich Hill. Uh, innings are still a problem. I mean, it's really just a matter of hoping he goes at least five and gets a win because the Dodgers can knock around Josh Tomlin. But that, that narrative actually holds up pretty good. Well, looking at the rest of the day slate here, you know, you got the White Sox and Orioles with Tillman and Holmberg. I don't think either of those guys you could feel pretty good about. I agree with you. Barrios is probably going to have so much of these three games in terms of ownership and cash games. But that, that's kind of why I bring up the point is because when you look at the Barrios price tag, it's pretty darn high. I mean, you're getting up to 9,500. I know Barrios has been good, but I mean, we're talking, that's like Robbie Ray good territory, 9,500. That's, you know, Zach Greinke, 9,500 territory. That's, that's a lot. And, and I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but there's still the fact that he is a young guy, still the fact that he's on a, a pitch count, and, and still the fact that, you know, when you're looking at building a DFS lineup, you've got to keep a little bit of responsibility for that offense. And I just think that Berrios fading him a little bit from that day slate, if you're just going to isolate the day slate, is actually a, the way you might want to go here. Yeah, and it will free up that extra cash to get a few upgrades with the bats as well. So I think from just the pure math standpoint and GPPs, fading Barrios makes sense. Maybe in, in your day slate cash games, you stick with him because his strikeout upside is higher. I mean, we mentioned Hill with the, the short outings. If the K rate's up, yeah, 6Ks in five innings is nice if he gets the win. Barrios could go seven innings and get you 12Ks. I mean, that's, that's entirely possible. But Seattle's not a bad offense. They don't strike out a ton. Uh, they're a little bit above average against righties. And, and target field, I think people have this this belief that target field is this really friendly pitcher environment. That's really not the case. I mean, it's harder for lefties to hit home runs there uh, than righties. It's harder than is compared to the league average. But I still look at it that this is kind of a, a trap park in some ways that people have a, a false sense of security with. All right, now let's switch gears over to the night slate where you've got Chris Sale. And I got to tell you, I was shocked to not see a 12 in front of his salary number. I think 11,500 in the National League ballpark against the Phillies offense was kind of surprising. I don't want to say it's a discount for sale, and I understand maybe there he hasn't quite been as good as he was the first six weeks of the season, but, I mean, who could keep that pace up? That's crazy. But, I mean, I kind of feel like for 11,500, it's against Nick Pavetta. It's really hard to, I mean, to have a cash game lineup without Chris Sale and it win. I think it's going to be pretty tough. Yeah, there's not really any good reason to go away. And, and I know we focus on FanDuel on this pod since they're our sponsor, but on DraftKings, he's 14100 tomorrow. I mean, like that's that's more in line with what I expected FanDuel to do with the price, kind of juice that up into the 12-5 range, maybe even like 13 flat because the matchup is just that good. Uh, the Phillies are, are below average against lefties. They strike out a fair amount. I actually like it better in the National League Park than I would have in, in Fenway anyway. So, yeah, all, all the signs – for cash games point to Chris Sale uh, being just a great way to go. And it's, it's really tough to make a compelling argument for a lot of the alternatives in cash games because there's so much more variance with most of the other pitchers on the board. And because of that price of Sale in, in over on the FanDuel side, I imagine he's going to get a fair amount of ownership and some GPP play too because I think that's a salary that you could still work within uh, on a night like tonight. Now, I know Colorado's in play and all, but there's some other – offensive ballparks in play as well that you might be able to squeeze a little out of. But I'm looking at that. I'm saying to myself, you know, with the way the rest of his pitching goes, there's one guy that I definitely do want to highlight. and We're going to touch on some other ones too, who might may or may not be traps, but I would not be shocked to see a lot of sale ownership across the board in all plays this week, just because that, that 
optioned against Pavetta tonight against the Phillies. It's just, I just don't understand. It should be more expensive. It just flat out should be. So that's a good spot. I'm going to go right to it. I'm going to cut to the shades and right here. And I'm going to talk about Jeff Hoffman, who is in Colorado at 6,600. And I know it's in Colorado. I get it. But the strikeouts have been there. He's going against Matt Moore, who I do not like in this matchup at all in Colorado. I don't care. Uh, sorry, Matt Moore and his five ERA heading into Colorado to me has just, you know, giant red flashing lights. Cause play all the hitters against me, please. Will you please? But look, Hoffman's been terrific over his last three starts. And the one start he had in Colorado before this against the Los Angeles Dodgers was not terrible. He struck out eight guys there, walked two, went five and a third. Yeah, you don't love that, but you know, last three starts have been quality starts. Can you get behind my Jeff Hoffman in Colorado or am I lost my mind, DBR? I think you're actually right on point here making the call. I think Hoffman, as well as he's pitched, a lot of that has come on the road. But facing a Giants offense that is probably the worst in play tomorrow, I mean, mm-hmm. the Padres don't go on any part of the slate. So you need to look to see who the Giants are playing. He's got enough strikeout upside where it's worth the risk in GPPs. 6,600 is a bargain for a guy with that kind of upside. And it allows you to get a lot of bats going in Colorado going up against Matt Moore. So I think that's the biggest question with Chris Sale is how much are you willing to fade the Colorado bats? Because if you're willing to do that, Sale can be your tournament pitcher. If you're not willing to do that, you have to go elsewhere, whether it's Hoffman or somebody else. All right. And if you're looking for a little bit safer one, you got Gio Gonzalez at 8,700. Neil Walker's banged up. Uh, he left the game uh, last night. You got Conforto, who's been banged up a little bit. Astrubal Cabrera is on the DL. So this is a, a Mets lineup that's, you know, certainly depleted. Cespedes has been touch and go quite a bit. God knows if he'll be in the lineup. So I look at Gio at 8,700 and the way he's pitched, you know, three straight games where he's, you know, got into the sixth inning. Strikeouts for him have been pretty good as well. I think that's the safest of the tournament arms. You don't want to, you know, go up to the top of the board, build a lineup where you figure, well, look, I got a really good shot at the win here as long as the bullpen doesn't get too involved. My God, what an awful situation that is over there. But besides Geo, can you make a case for anybody else here on this slate today? I mean, I made the case for Hoffman. Sale is the obvious one. But in the nighttime, I mean, is there anybody else to you that can pop and you say, yeah, okay, I feel pretty good about this pitcher in a tournament? I think it would be Jordan Montgomery if I had to make that call. Mm-hmm. He's 7,500. The A's strike out more than a quarter of the time against lefties. Uh, 90 WRC plus against lefties in the season, so 10% worse than league average. Uh, it's similar to the matchup that Gio has against the Mets, but the A's strike out more than the Mets, and you're saving $1,200 on the price uh, that Gio's going to cost you too. So there's enough there where I think Montgomery makes a lot of sense. Sonny Gray, you know, one of the better pitchers the A's have, kind of takes away some of the win potential. But Jordan Montgomery has been pretty impressive so far this year. The 23% K rate, ERA in the mid-threes, the whip isn't bad at 1.23. I think it makes a lot of sense to build a Jordan Montgomery GPP lineup, in part because Gazelman, who's in the same price range, has just been all over the board. I, I still don't want to take a chance going up uh, against the Nats, think they're just such a dangerous offense that you really don't want to throw any mid-range starters against them. And Justin Verlander draws a raised team that has Ugh. been a top five offense this year. How is Verlander's salary this high? I don't. That's what I don't understand. I look, the first thing that I saw when I looked at this slate, and I'm saying, how is he still 9,300? How in the world is that a thing? I don't understand how we could possibly get any ownership of Verlander at that price. Just the lack of respect for what the Rays have done so far. I mean, I, I think it, after two and a half months, we have to believe in most of what this offense accomplished is, is being legitimate. 
Yeah, I mean, not that I like Alex Cobb, but I, I actually think Alex Cobb is by far the better investment. Not that I'm investing in either one of them, but I'm just saying if, it, if I have to go. And the other thing about Montgomery, too, pitching in Oakland is always a very favorable spot, too. And I'm with you. Montgomery's been a very good, quiet addition to a lot of season-long teams, and he's been pretty decent in some daily matchups as well. The, the thing you like about him is a strikeout rate, like you pointed out. But it's funny, in a year where Severino's gotten a lot of attention for the good he's done, Tanaka has gotten so much attention for all the bad he's done. sabathia has got all the attention for how what a surprise he is. Montgomery is kind of the unsung hero of that rotation and kind of flying under the radar. All right, let's move over to the catcher position. Top of the board, Buster Posey in Colorado, 4,600. I don't really feel great about that one just out of the box there. You know, 4,600 for a catcher is always a tough one for me. If you're playing the all-day slate or the day slate, as always, check those lineups so you can find out who those backup catchers are who are making those appearances, chances are you're going to find a guy for 23, 2400 somewhere who's in a decent enough spot in the batting order. Sometimes you can make a little hay there. Let's talk about Gary Sanchez at 4K against Sonny Gray. Now, Sanchez has been terrific. He's on another tear, starting to look a lot like the Gary Sanchez of old. We talked about this on Tuesday with Todd Zola. Are you buying this old Gary Sanchez 4K? You want to pay up a catcher, or are you still going down the board a little further? I think if you're going to go with, you know, a Jordan Montgomery, one of the cheaper pitchers we talked about, you can justify the extra cash. But if you're paying up for sale, you don't want to make Gary Sanchez your one expensive bat right now. Uh, interesting to note, though, Sonny Gray has had a pretty strong reverse split going back to the start of last season. So if you are going to plug in some Yankees bats against Sonny Gray tomorrow, you may be more inclined to do that with some of their righties. Uh, home run rate, 1.58 homers per nine. For Sonny Gray against mm. righties going back to the start of the 2016 season, a 358 Woba allowed to righties uh, as well. So, you know, that's one thing to think about with the Yankees in particular. But with Sanchez at 4,000, I don't think I want to pay the freight given that it is more of like a pitcher-friendly environment in Oakland. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I, I, I tell you what, if you're going to go down to Hoffman at 66, then I think guys like Sanchez are very much in play. But if you're not willing to do that, I think it gets a little dicey. What's a catcher you're looking at tonight where you look and you say, okay, this is a guy that I think is a good return on investment? Because i got to tell you, I'm looking at this group right now, and, and it's not a lot of good matchups. And that's the thing. Like Sometimes we're looking for the Avilas of the world and say, okay, he's got a good matchup. He's been solid. He's in that 33 kind of range roughly every night. But I don't know. I'm looking at the rest of this grouping, and, and nothing's really jumping out at me. Is someone jumping out at you, a catcher, today? Because I'm kind of lost there. Yeah, it's, it's pretty ugly. I, I think Travis Darno at 2,800 against Geo could be an option. Uh, Matt Wieters against Gazelman at 2,600 could also be in play as well. I mean, they're probably going to be bottom third of their respective lineups. But uh, Geo, when he gives up home runs, tends to give them up to righties. City Field boosts up right-handed power a little bit. So the setup for, uh, for Darno is not bad. You know, as Wieters goes, Gazelman's one of those players that I thought coming into the year – I wanted to have him everywhere as one of my, my you know, fourth, fifth starter types, a uh, guy that I'd get a pretty good return on the investment in. And he's been all over the map. I mean, he's looked good at times, but it's been more bad than good to this point. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I don't trust most pitchers against the Nats, but I don't trust Gizelman against the Nats at all. No, I, I think there's going to be a lot of Washington uh, shares today. I'll tell you, Sal Perez might be the quietest 13 home runs of anybody this year. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of folks out there who don't realize the kind of power he's hit for this year. And I'm looking at him against Ricky in Alaska at 3,400. I think that might be the safest guy where I feel like, okay, I'm going to get a good return on investment. I got the opportunity for him to go – you know, four or five times value if he has a good day. But even on his worst day, 
still a three times value kind of guy at 34. I think that's kind of the safe. I don't want to get myself into a trap at catcher kind of spot where I don't want to leave myself with too little floor, but have enough in the barrel there to separate myself and hit a pay line over to first base. Ryan Zimmerman, 4,200, Mark Reynolds, 4K, Matt Holiday at 38, Edwin Encarnacion, 37, and Cabrera, 37. That's the top of the board. Zimmerman missed a couple days, but kind of came back with a vengeance recently. Uh, what are your thoughts on him against Gazelman? Because we're talking about, you know, putting these guys in there. He had two home runs the other night in Atlanta. Uh, is Zimmerman a guy you feel pretty good about now that he seems healthy again and back in the lineup? Yeah, I mean, another uh, another pitcher that has a, a strong kind of reverse split going back through last season, Robert Gazelman. Zimmerman is just amazing. I mean, we we all heard the reports and there are updates on Rotowire's site that uh, Zimmerman was working on his swing this spring, but nobody expected it to pay off in, in this way. I mean, this is just nuts. But I think the problem with paying up for Zimmerman tomorrow is that you can get pretty good value at first base position. The Cardinals have been leading Matt Carpenter off uh, these last few days. He's only 3,400, so that makes quite a bit of sense. Uh, I think just based on his lineup position, the power potential, and a matchup against Zach Davies, who just hasn't been very good this year, I'm going to have a lot of exposure to Carpenter today. Yeah, he's been low-priced for a while now. He's hovering that 33K range where I just keep looking at the, at the 3,300. I see Carpenter there, especially since he moved up in the order. I just... I keep waiting for the algorithm to catch up to him. It just has yet to do so, which is know, just, just kind of odd. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit, too, about uh, Kenny's Vargas, who uh, is another guy who recently got called up. Uh, Todd and I were on him a couple shows ago when he got called up. I said, look, you know, throw a dart on Kenny's Vargas and some GPP lineups. Of course, he went yard that day. Uh, Vargas is a guy, and you mentioned target field is not exactly bereft of having power. Another guy that comes with a little bit of power. And look, over the last couple of days, he's seen the ball well. He's got a home run in the last five games at four hits last night. Uh, certainly a guy, if you're talking about streaks at 3,100, you could certainly justify being a decent investment. Yeah, I love the, the raw power that Vargas brings to the table. Uh, the price is generally pretty fair. You know, Thursday uh, is no exception. So at 3,100, I think Vargas can be uh, a great matchup play against Ariel Miranda. And, and that's the one fault Miranda has. We didn't really think about him much as a, a day slate pitcher. You know, he gives up a good number of long balls to righties, and that's, the, that's what you want in target field. You want to use right-handed power bats. And I think Vargas switch hits. A guy like Brian Dozier, who's been atop the lineup, could also be a great play as well. Yeah, and Dozier's picked it up a little bit of late too. So a lot of people who are, you know, kind of frustrated with him in season long, don't let that carry over into your DFS view because he's been better lately. If you're one of these guys who got, you know, annoyed and ended up dealing Dozier, just just relax. It'll turn around. It's fine. And, you know, here's your chance to – if you if you dealt him and now he's hitting, here's your chance to kind of cash in on Dozier. Uh, you know, it's funny. Let's talk to one more guy before we turn the page on first base. And that's Mark Reynolds, who – it's funny when you're looking at Mark Reynolds and you see the sour and you see Matt Moore, you go, Hey, I want Mark Reynolds in this game. But have you noticed how he hits against left-handed pitching this year? Because it's kind of shocking. He's hitting 197 this year with just three home runs against lefties. Now, I'm sure a lot of people don't realize that and they just do the automatic, oh, it's a righty lefty, whatever. Let's get Mark Reynolds in that lineup. But I think he's a huge trap today. Yeah, same thing happened last year, too. Uh, the OPS for Reynolds against righties was almost 200 points higher against righties than it was against lefties. So I, I'm not crazy about it. You're not getting that much of a deal in this particular spot. So I'd wait for a different matchup in this home series to play Mark Reynolds. All right, over to third base. And the one guy that we always know at third base is uh, my friend Benny Ricciardi likes to say, there's death taxes 
and Wilmer Flores against lefties. And Wilmer Flores has a lefty uh, in play. He's only 2,700, certainly a guy with a good return on investment there. If you go down to that board, if you're looking for Chris Sale, uh, third baseman, Wilmer Flores is your guy. Top of the board, 4,600 for Nolan Arenado. Now, look, you're going to pay the premium for Arenado against the lefty, and it's Matt Moore. And I think I'm at peace with this, Derek. I think I'm okay. I think I'll sleep well with spending that much in GBP on Nolan Arenado. And I'm telling you, I'm going all all in on Colorado. I got Hoffman, I'm going Arenado, and I got some more coming up for you too. Yeah, no, it, it makes a lot of sense. If you're playing Hoffman, you can probably get four Rockies bats in with, with relative ease. So paying the, the Arenado tax for a home matchup against the lefty who gives up a lot of home runs especially makes perfect sense. Uh, if you're going to have day slate included, Sano against Miranda is another matchup that I like. I mean, Dozier's price ticked up a little bit, so Sano's kind of a, a slight discount at 3900 if you're looking for a pricey Twins bat. Uh, the other way to look at, at the third base position, Jed Jerko, 3200 People just yeah. don't realize how much damage he's been doing against righties, and it goes back to the start of last season. He was undervalued in season-long drafts. He's been undervalued in DFS pretty much all season. And that Zach Davies matchup, especially with the, the hot, humid conditions we're dealing with throughout most of the country, but especially in the Midwest, the ball is carrying in a big way right now in places like St. Louis and Minnesota. So I want to get a couple cards bats, especially because of the discount you're getting on guys like Carpenter and Jerko. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I'm going to throw Travis Shaw into that mix too at 37. The lefty-righty matchup for him against Waka, I think is very, very tasty. I like Shaw here. Uh, another guy that's you know, surprised everybody the start of the year, had a little bit of a quiet run, but really he's been pretty consistent most of the year. He, to me, he's a little matchup driven. Uh, he's a guy that I won't use just because, but I think this matchup is, is enough. And like you're saying too, I mean, some of the exposure on the Milwaukee side of this might not be terrible either. I think some people see Mike Waka and kind of shy away from it slightly, but I don't think Waka has given me enough pause personally, though he's pitched this year. He's been better than last year. He's been pretty good, but I'm not afraid of him. I am afraid of that Milwaukee lineup. However, that Milwaukee lineup is for real. And I think they're just going to continue to hit all year. Anybody else over here at the third base spot uh, that kind of jumps out of you before we turn the page on third base? Because I think we've hit the guys. You know, you hit Jerko was the one that I had on my board. Is there anybody else for you? I know uh, Rendon's another guy against Gazelman if you're looking to keep that stack together. But I think you really want more of the, the Murphy, Harper, Turner side of that than you do want that middle to the back end probably. Yeah, there's not as much depth at third base just based on the matchups as you might think. It's going to be a day to probably spend up uh, for me, unless I'm you know building around Jerko. But I'll probably have a lot of Jerko because uh, he'll fit well in the sale lineups as a, as a good quality power bat that doesn't ha- have that high-end sort of price tag. Just, just kind of tying to the Brewers theme again. What's with the algorithms pricing on Eric Thames? Like that's, that's just goofy. I mean, he homered in his first at bat uh, here on Wednesday, and – He's 3000 again against Waka. I mean, the, the ownership rates are going to be through the roof until that price gets up into the high 3000s. Yeah, that's that lag time where the pricing gets released ahead of time. Like, we're out here talking about this game, and then while well, the other games are still going on, and that's, you know, that's just uh, – it, it's funny because it's an opportunity, and sometimes it's an opportunity for good, and sometimes it's a giant, giant trap. And I think you have to judge what that is. But, you know, Thames is a fascinating little entity, too. I, I can't wait to see where the second half of him goes because that first month was just otherworldly. And then, you know, he got dealing with a couple injuries and where do you go from here? And I don't know, man. I, I can't wait to see where it all ends up. All I know is if you had him in season long and you sold high, you probably did pretty good. Uh, one more before I turn the page. You know, I mentioned Salvador Perez. 
And I'm going to throw out Mike Moustakas here for 3,300 too. Another guy, 18 home runs, 40 RBIs, hitting about 280 on the year. Coming off another night where he hit a home run in San Fran. And I, I'm looking at him and Perez against Ricky Nolasco. And it might be a little quiet you know, addition of a couple of these Royals bats there where you might actually be able to make a little bit of a, a run here and get some productivity. And Ricky Nolasco with a constant ERA somewhere north of four and a half, approaching five this year. I, I like some of these Royals in tonight's game, Mustakas and Perez being two of them. All right, over to second base here. Uh, you know, Jose Altuve got to uh, the number of hits he got to faster than Ted Williams. I just saw that stat say Richard Justice just posted that on Facebook and I I couldn't believe that. He's whatever threshold he hit just recently in terms of number of hits faster than Ted Williams, which that's just this is wow. I know he's not on the slate today, but I just I had to bring that up when we talked about second base. Just holy cow. I was talking about Daniel Murphy at 3900 here. Uh he's going against Gazelman. Daniel Murphy versus the Mets. Typically, that's a share that you want, am I right, Derek? Yes, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Murphy kills the Mets. And at 3900 he's still a tick below where I kind of expect him to be priced. I think he should be uh, right around 4200 on a day-to-day basis. So I like the small amount of savings you get there. Uh, one of those guys you could easily kind of build around. Second base is one of those positions, especially on a, like a not a Tuesday or Friday where you have all the games really lumped into one slate. I tend to pay up more at the position because the depth, while it's there and from a season-long perspective – when you start isolating matchups, you start looking for parks and lineup position and value, you don't always have a long list of guys at the keystone that you really feel good about. No, and, and I'll tell you what, even if Murphy doesn't have a big day, it's not wrong. I mean, there's sometimes there's things that just aren't wrong, even if they don't work. Having Daniel Murphy share us today against the Mets, against Robert Gazelman, I mean, it's, it's all kinds of right. It's just all kinds of right, even if it doesn't work. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes that's the way it goes. Uh, Starling Castro continues to have a really good season. The, the splits on the home road are not quite as drastic as last year, so that's a good thing. At 3,300, can you get behind Castro tonight against Sonny Gray? Where were those splits that you're talking about were you? No, I'm cool with that. I, I think Castro is a nice play, and he'll probably be under-owned with it being on the road. I think a lot of people that like Castro really target him uh, for those home games at Yankee Stadium. But the other goofy thing that keeps happening is every time the Rockies have a home series, DJ LeMayhew is the most affordable Rocky with a prominent spot in the batting order. He's only 3,400, and it's a home matchup against Matt Moore. So it's going to be chalky, but it's one of those cases where you feel pretty good about the chalk actually paying off. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. You know, everybody gets so tied up to trying to be different or trying to avoid things. But sometimes chalk is just good baseball. I mean, it's just good fantasy. And and that's just because, like, Daniel Murphy's might be chalk against the Mets. That's fine. It doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it something that actually might be very necessary if you're going to even compete on that night. Robinson Cano, by the way, too, on that day slate, I I keep seeing this Robinson Cano salary around 3,100, around 3,000. And I just keep scratching my head trying to figure out why a player with this much potential is still hovering around there. I don't get it. Uh, I know it's Berrios, but it's Cano. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, if you're, and if you're this guy who's going to go out there or gal go out there today and play Rich Hill in a day slate, in the short slate there, I would be happy to turn around and go against Berrios with a guy like Cano because to me that's a professional hitter who's way underpriced, who's got a – We've got a matchup against a young pitcher who's been very good, but I mean, come on now. He's not Sandy Koufax. Let's be honest here. Well, and I think the other factor too is even if Barrios pitches well for five or six innings, gets the pitch count up, you get the Minnesota bullpen 
And yes, please. It's the worst bullpen in the league to this point based on ERA. So that's pretty enticing too. So even if he doesn't get to Barrios, he may get one or two plate appearances against the league's worst bullpen. At that price, Robbie Cano makes a ton of sense. As far as the starting pitchers go, it's the toughest matchup he's had in this entire series, which has been just insane for the run production that we've seen so far. Those teams have just been going off. And again, weather, uh, aside from the quality of the pitching, has been a big factor in that. But yeah, I, I don't really see any reason why Robbie Cano should be 3,100. I think he's got the fourth most fantasy points per game on FanDuel of the second baseman in play Thursday. What, why doesn't he cost 3,800 or 4,000? I don't know, man, but I'll tell you what. I think it's certainly worth uh, throwing some shares on there and some lineups to find out because uh, I think their answer is right. And before we turn the page for second base, here's the stat that Richard Justice posted. Jose Altuve has more hits in his first 900 games than Ted Williams, Albert Pujols, Lou Gehrig, and Pete Rose. I think that's a fascinating little statistic. And I know this is DFS podcast, but still, chances are you're listening to this, you're a giant baseball nerd, and this is giant baseball nerd kind of stuff. Is that a surprising little stat there, Derek? It is because I thought it was one of those situations where it was, you know, by a certain age or after a certain number of seasons. And, of course, Ted Williams went and fought in World War II. So he was gone for a few years serving America like the, that's 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 what I thought was going on when you first brought yeah that up. but that's why yeah, I was like they, I gotta they, clarify because I think it was a games threshold and not a not a anything else and it was it was a games threshold which is wow <laughs> very it's very impressive I mean, I mean Jose Altuve too is one of those guys if you get a chance go look at some of the old prospect write-ups on him I, I think there were people that liked him in the prospect community I think even Kevin Goldstein who's with the Astros now at the time was with BP he did like Altuve but I don't think anybody wrote future star, future perennial all-star, future first-round fantasy pick, future guy that can earn as much as Mike Trout in rotisserie leagues. And no one, no one thought that was ever possible, mostly because of his stature. Uh, but it, it's it's amazing what Jose Altuve has done at this point in his career. No, it's it's truly astounding. And if anyone's ever listened to me on the radio, they know from my show, Jose Altuve is my spirit animal DVR. He is. I, I don't know what that means in terms of spirit animal, but I know Jose Altuve is mine. All right, on to shortstops. Trey Turner, 4,600. Uh, certainly been stealing bases. That's always a good thing. The Mets make it easy. We all know that. And if Darno is catching, I think 4,600, although it's expensive, it might be enough to tempt me <laughs> if Darno is out there and Gazelman, where I'm thinking, eh, you know what? I think Trey Turner is, especially with Daniel Murphy in play, Maybe a pairing I want to get into, especially if I don't want to go Colorado stack, if I decide that's not how I want to go in the evening games. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're not using Jeff Hoffman, maybe Brandon Crawford at 3,600 is going to be heavily owned. Bogarts at 3,700 probably makes a good amount of sense based on where he hits in the Red Sox lineup. The matchup against Nick Pavetta, who's not terrible, but he's not great either. I think there's uh, plenty to expose there. Uh, and we know that Citizens Bank Park also is a nice environment for right-handed power bats in particular. So I think that bodes well uh, for Bogarts. Uh, what are you doing with, with Francisco Lindor most days? I mean, he switch hits, so lefty versus righty doesn't impact a lot with him. His price has been down lately. Whether you're doing all day or early afternoon only, you know, is Lindor in play for you at 3400 uh, i got to be honest with you, no. And, and the reason why, and, and the reason why I'm a little sour on Lindor is, I, I mean, the power's been pretty good, but I feel like the contact hasn't been where, it's, where it should be for him. And I think that's going to change eventually. But right now, until it does, I don't want to make DFS investments in him. 
And I think this is where your season-long knowledge has to come into play and it crosses paths. Because I look at a guy like Lindor and I look at the skill set and I love the guys who do a little bit of everything. But I look at the RBI numbers being low and I look at you know where the batting average is and I understand where he hits in the lineup, impacts that. But the problem with Lindor is I'm getting a lot of goose eggs. And I know FanDuel doesn't have negative points anymore for the last couple of years. But you know what? Goose eggs is pretty much the same thing. And I just want players with a little bit more floor. And I keep bringing up the contact and I bring up a player like Didi Gregorius who's making a ton more contact. So even the bad games he has, he's giving me a little bit more foundation to build off where it's not going to cost me a pay line. And I feel like Lindor at 34, 36, he's been hovering around that area. Because of that inconsistency in those goose eggs, is going to be a guy that costs me a pay line. And I don't want that guy in my lineup until he starts to turn things around. And then, yeah, the price is going to catch up eventually with him. And he'll probably maybe scoop back up to the 4K range. But against Rich Hill, I got to tell you, like, that's another one I just can't get behind. And, and shortstop's been tough like that all year. It's been a very top-heavy with Correa. Uh, Seager's been kind of tough, too, of recently. Now he's finally getting back on the wagon there. Uh, so Seager against Tomlin certainly is one if you're playing the day slate. He's worth paying for. That's a pretty good one. Uh, speaking of Didi, what do you think of Didi against Sonny Gray, the lefty-righty matchup there? It's okay, but I, I it's, it's – as much as I am on board with DD being a very undervalued player in our community in general, this setup in that park at that price doesn't quite scratch the itch for me. I'm almost more inclined to play Anderson Simmons at 3,400 against Matt Strom. I mean, I think that that's kind of in a similar level of quality. You saved a hundred bucks and you know, Simmons is one of those guys too. He had that big power season years ago He's got six already this year, hit a little bit in September last season too. Kind of makes you wonder if he's just figured some things out at the plate with all the playing time he gets. It's the best thing about a premier defender. They get so much playing time and they get so much more leash to learn how to hit. They can be late bloomers like this. Brandon Crawford took a long time to become the player. Yeah, he did. Now. He did. Um, and I, I think Simmons maybe has a little bit of that too. Well, it's funny because Simmons flashed that one year with the power and everyone said, where the hell did this come from? And then it just vanished and we said, okay, well, it wasn't real. But, you know, you bring up Crawford and, and you know, sometimes there is a spot and, and maybe today's another one where you get Stram in that game in Alaska. Maybe that's one of those quiet – and I feel like this has happened a lot this year. But some of those games where everybody's all in on Cincinnati, all in on Colorado, all in in Milwaukee, and then you get a game like this one tonight where it's Stram, who's probably on a short leash – against Alaska, there's no trout in that game and all of a sudden that's going to be like a you know 12 runs or 13 runs between those two teams and you know those are the sneaky ones sometimes if you're doing multiple lineups to just go off the beaten path with all of those and go turnover and I talked about Perez I talked about Mustakis uh I'm sure that we get in the outfield we'll talk about a couple of the guys in Anaheim there but so there's more than one way to make some hay in GPP. And it's not always Colorado. It's not always having to go with the clear chalk stacks and things like that. Washington's going to have a lot of ownership too. It's finding that combination of ownership slash productivity, and you got to be able to, to go through both of those things. All right, baseball is here, and don't get stranded out on first base without a Rotowire subscription. And don't miss out on this great offer. Make your first deposit on FanDuel today, and you'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription. So go to FanDuel.com slash Rotowire to claim it. You must be a new FanDuel user in order to be eligible, and users may only establish one account on FanDuel. That's FanDuel.com slash Rotowire. On to the outfield. And I want to talk about Charlie Blackman because there might be some people that say, well, 5,100, that's too much, that's crazy, it's insane. It's a lefty, but you know what? Charlie Blackman's got over 900-something OPS against left-handed pitching. Charlie Blackman 
is always a good investment. And if you're doing a Colorado stack without Charlie Blackman, I just think you're doing it wrong. I don't care how much it costs. It's always hard to pass up on the leadoff hitter in a stack, and it's doubly difficult if it's Charlie Blackman because he is a monster. Uh, he's one of the elite performers in the outfield this year on a per-game basis. The only thing that makes me think twice about it, if you're paying up that much, you can get Bryce Harper against Zellman for 500 less, and I know. that might make a pretty big difference on this slate. And I think that's exactly the difference everybody's going to come to. And I think that's exactly the difference if you're in a GVP that you don't want to do Harper across the board. Because <laughs> that I think makes sense. Everybody's yeah. going to do that. I think everybody, because that's just good sound logic, right? But what do we learn about baseball in 2017? <laughs> you yeah, might have to it, throw that out the window. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Throw it out, yeah. Well, well I'm, what I'm saying is if you're a single entry, one lineup person, I agree 100%. I think that's absolutely the logic, and you feel good about Harper against the Mets and Gazelman and all that for every reason. But I think the exact reason you're going to see that is why you might see Charlie Blackman ownership between the salary, between the lefty. People sometimes don't really pay attention and go deeper where they should. But I'm looking at Blackman, I'm looking at Harper, and I'm thinking to myself, look, I'm going to have some lineups with each of them, and I'm going to go back and forth a little bit. Let's continue to go down. Uh, this board here, Aaron Judge at 51 too. as much as I love Aaron Judge, I don't think I can go there for him uh, in that ballpark. Not that he can't hit him out of that ballpark. He can hit him out of everywhere. We've seen that before. I'm just not quite getting there. Let's talk a little bit about J.D. Martinez, who now this is a guy that has done nothing but hit since he's come back. He's hitting 300 with 11 home runs and, tw- I mean, 25 RBIs. And how many games has he played this year? Like, what, 26 games or something? Like, it's, it's a crazy amount of games. I'm not even sure. But uh, against Alex Cobb, is he in play for you at 4,100? He is, and it comes down to budgeting again. It really depends how much you spend on, uh, on your pitcher. If you go cheap enough, you, you may not have to worry about it. Uh, but if you pay up for sale, you know, he may be your, your big bat, the best one you can afford. A lot of the damage done against Alex Cobb comes against lefties, but he's not dominant against righties. He's not missing many bats. JD has just been a, a, a machine. I'm surprised he doesn't cost – you know, high 4,000s based on what he's done on a per-game basis since coming back from that foot injury because he has been elite uh, to this point. I, I think the the other big question with this slate is how much are we willing to keep sinking into the Boston lineup? Like the Red mm-hmm. Sox keep underperforming. The prices are still affordable. But yet again, Mookie Betts, 3,700. Coming off a big game Wednesday, I mean, like that's that's always a good sign. You have guys that are playing well. You kind of have the confidence begets confidence mentality. One guy starts hitting, the next guy starts hitting. You know that suddenly a Red Sox stack looks a little more appealing because the pieces are starting to come together. Andrew Benintendi's been cheap for several days. Like, do you do you play any Red Sox? Do you fade them because they're priced so fairly? Like, how do you attack them right now? Uh, I got to tell you, the way I look at it personally is the fact that Mookie Betts coming off a two home run game at 3,700 because of the skill set, because the power and the speed that I believe Betts does have, and the power starting to come around, hopefully a little bit here. The three hit night, he had three, you know, four hit nights, excuse me, two out of his last three games. So for 3,700, I'm absolutely behind there. I don't know if I'm ready to go with the whole lineup, though. I think Betts, to me, is still a one-off. As much as it's nice to see Ben Attendee still underpriced and hitting a little bit better more consistently, 
I'm not quite there yet. Not where I'm putting cash on the line. I think that's, that's the difference of the mindset. But this is another stack, though, where you could say, hey, I'm not going with this main group. I'm going to go with the Red Sox instead of Colorado or instead of Washington or, or Kansas City. I mean, there, there's lots of different options. To me, what it comes down to now that you've said it too is I look at this as a night where you want to be multi-entry, which is hard when you want, don't want to play against the big giant whales and sharks. But on FanDuel, there's not as many of them you have to deal with in the baseball side as you do on the, on the other site. So for me, I think it's more appealing to try that out. And maybe you go in a lower price tournament if you're not a big tournament player and do a couple lineups and see which one hits. Because I think there's possibility out there. I think there's going to be a lot of variance. And in the short slate, usually you don't always get that. But I feel like there's more options today than usually there is on a regular Thursday. Yeah, I mean, part of it's that there's only three day games and then you get a few more night games than usual too and get a good mix of mid-rotation guys. The conditions have been like this all week. I mean, we're we're already in a season where because of some very subtle changes to the ball – we're seeing more home runs. I mean, that that's a big part of it. But now the weather's at a point where that's going to be influencing things too. Uh, you get mediocre pitchers going, that weighs in. So we're going to see a lot of big numbers for probably the next several weeks. I mean, that's just kind of the point of the year uh, that we're in. I think when that starts to happen, it is easier to fall into that multiple lineup mindset. Yeah. Well, and especially it's also easier to fall into getting behind the notion of a guy like Hoffman on tonight's slate because you say, okay, I can spend and get the geos of the world. Who's, who's perfectly reasonable and much safer. I grant it, but I don't know necessarily if that's going to get it done because offensively you've needed so much from the offense where taking a, a, a flyer on a guy like Hoffman and that strikeout rate against uh, Matt Moore, who has not been good this year to me, I'm looking at that. I'm saying, Hey, that's just as good of an opportunity. Really? Uh, let's talk about Cameron Maben at 3,300 against Stram. Uh, Maven's been a guy too since Trout's been out now kind of picking up the mantle there top of the order trying to uh, get this team going a little bit and he's done that he's stealing bases all over the place he's been uh, certainly I think much better than any of us could have imagined I know baseball is a game of streaks but are you buying the streak of Cameron Maven for 3300 because I think I am yeah he's running like crazy too I know we're, we're very long ball centric when we're building our DFS lineups and sometimes you got to just think speed guys at or near the top of the order can be just as valuable because if they get into a spot where uh, they go up against a battery that doesn't hold runners particularly well, they could run wild. But I like Maven against lefties in general. I think that's always a spot where he's had some pretty good career splits. 3300 is a very fair price based on what he's been doing over these last several weeks. Hey, you want a fair price? How about this one? And I'm sure he's going to be a lineup. I'm, I, if he's not, that's a, that's a damn shame. But how about Malik Smith? for 2200 if that's not the hey i can start building some real serious chris sale tournament lineups if i can put malik smith in there to offset that and a cheap catcher all of a sudden the arenados and the murphys of the world start opening up to me but malik smith another guy who has been coming up and looked put the ball in play consistently he's giving you a little bit of floor with a decent enough ceiling i don't buy the power but like you said it's not all about power give me the guys who can steal a base too malik smith for 2200 are you with me Oh, I'm with you because the, you, you may have to if you're playing sale. It might be the only way you can afford it. more than one <laughs> quality bat. At shortstop, there was a punt play, too. I didn't bring him up at the time, but Orlando Arcia plays pretty much every day. Yeah. You know, averages about seven fantasy points per game. He's actually been hitting the ball pretty well over these last and three running or four weeks. And running, too. Arcia's yeah. been running a little bit of play, too. And Molina controls the running game pretty well still. I mean, that, that's still part of what he does, but the Brewers are very aggressive. They haven't really been afraid to attempt steals on him in this series. So, 
uh, a couple punt plays, and Malik Smith is definitely among them at 2,200. All right, another guy that I like at 3,100, Chris Davis, uh, going to be out a while with that oblique, and Trey Mancini even plugged right in there. Uh, like, I know he's been practically playing every day, but I think Mancini's basically going to play every day now for the rest of this, you know, until Chris Davis comes back. So at 3,100, I look at that matchup there. He's got a matchup against the lefty. It's, uh, it's at Holmberg from uh, – from uh, the Wash, uh, excuse me, the Chicago White Sox, and I look at that as another potential one there uh, in Chicago. It's a good hitter's ballpark as well. Mancini does have power, and Mancini's had some big games this year where he's had you know more than one bomb in a game, and that's that's the kind of guy that you love in GPP because when he goes off, you know it, it's a big day, and I and I think he's a good safe nine to twelve, even if he doesn't. I think he's a guy that can certainly get nine without the home run. Yeah, it hits a little higher in the order uh, than he would on most yeah, teams he's hitting right now, the too. Other night, yeah. yeah, so I like that. There's a little bit of that, that Matt Adams usage going on with Trey Mancini right now, so I think that's a great call. All right, who else are you liking in the outfield before we wrap things up here? Anybody else pop to you? You know, I'm, I'm looking at that San Francisco-Colorado game, and I'm kind of wondering, like, is, is Cargo going to be in there against Matt Moore? Like, if Matt Moore gets blasted, Cargo gets some swipes at the Giants' bullpen. I don't feel bad about Cargo getting two or three plate appearances against – uh, low-end pieces from that San Francisco bullpen at 3,400. Yeah, I mean... It's been horrible, though. No, yeah, it's it's certainly a tough... It's, it's again, really sound logic. What about Ian Desmond at 38? That's another one who had been slow on the uptake, but hitting better of late, certainly. Getting him in there against Matt Moore can't be a bad thing. I, the problem is at 38, that's kind of where I'm right on the border because I like a lot of the guys below that and a lot of the guys above that. I feel like that's kind of that middle ground where it's him, it's it's Bellinger on the day slate, it's Upton at night. You know, I look at Guillen Desmond at 38 and I go, well, why not just give me Mookie Betts at 37? So I'm having a hard time getting there. Yeah, that's, that's the problem I ran into when I looked at Desmond. I do like the matchup, but it's really tough to pass up on Betts if you have to choose between those two. All right, one more guy. I got to throw him out there. Same price. $3,700 Aaron Hicks. I can't believe I'm saying this. Or $3,700 Mookie Betts. I, this, is, this is what we've come to. This is what we've deteriorated to in 2017, Derek. I'm asking this question. It's crazy. It's crazy, but Hicks has always been one of those very toolsy players who just had to put it all together, and I think he's, he's done that. That being said, you know, the setup in Philly – is a better ballpark. So I think I like bets a little better. The fact this is in the Coliseum probably uh, flips it to bets for me. But if this game were at Yankee Stadium, that's a total 50-50 call. Oh, my God. And I'm frustrated more than anybody else because I, I got to tell you, I mean, I've owned Aaron Hicks almost every year, everywhere, because of the same reasons. Because I said, this is a toolsy guy who I think – He's got a lot of athleticism. If he could just figure it out, he's going you know, to be a dollar guy and he's going to work. It's going to happen. And then every year it doesn't work. And guess what? This is the one year I don't own him. I don't own him anywhere. And what's happened to me? That's I, the worst. That's I, the I, worst. When you're on a player for years, you finally give up and they're a late bloomer. I mean, Justin Smoke was the guy for not the last two or three years, but early in his career, I was convinced Justin Smoke was going to be a great hitter. And I gave up on him years ago. Did not see this coming whatsoever. Yeah, well, you know, and that's why DFS is so great because we still get to own them this year and still kick ourselves the rest of the season. You can follow him on Twitter at Derek Van Riper. You can follow me at Joe Pizapia17. For everybody here at RotoWire, have a great night of Daily Fantasy. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.